here and all we have comes from you. And so we acknowledge you today in worship. We declare that you alone deserve the glory. Be glorified in all things. Be exalted even now. And as we open your word, we just pray that you will take these feeble words of mine and use it for your glory. Honor yourself in the hearts of your people. Be exalted today. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen. Amen. It's so wonderful to come to God's house and just enjoy his presence in worship. And I hope nobody here is making the mistake to think, well, now we're getting into the real thing. Because the real thing already started the moment you stepped in here. There's no real thing that's going to happen. It's already started. You know, as you stepped into God's house, as you worship the Lord, as you gave your offerings, as the preaching of God's word comes, all of this together is the real thing, is the reason why we came, to exalt him. So I hope nobody's making that mistake and saying, now oh, the real thing is going to start. Well, it already started. I hope you didn't miss it. That you're already enjoying God's presence and enjoying his uh, name being worshipped and exalted. And thank you so much to the worship team. It's really a joy to be part of a church that the worship team just seeks to exalt Jesus and, and lead us into his presence in worship. I have the joyful privilege of bringing God's word, uh, opening God's word with us today. And uh, my work is pretty cut out because there is a chapter, there is a title and everything. So <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 9. I don't know if someone has already said some few things about it or someone is going to say some more. Um, but this morning... Uh, what I thought to do is to just break my thoughts into three main categories. One category is something a little bit about Isaiah, and the second category is something a little bit about the people that Isaiah is sent to, and then the third thing, something about God, which is actually where we're going to spend more time. I think that's where we should spend more time. So we'll talk a little bit about Isaiah, and a little bit about the people he's sent to, and then a little bit about God. And by the time we've done all those things, we will be finished with the service. But I, 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 can I ask that maybe the mic be turned down? I can get pretty excited when I preach God's word, so I, I hope the sound will not be something that will bother someone. So that I can just, just speak to you freely, you know, as I will do anywhere that I, I have opportunity to share God's word. And... Uh, did I need to say my name is Jacob? Well, you will know why I say my name is Jacob a bit later on um, as we proceed. But for some of you that we've related, I'm Jacob, married to Juliet. She's a woman, and she's only one. And uh, I, I picked that up somewhere when I went for a meeting recently somewhere in South America. And all the brothers that came from East Africa, every one of them that stood to introduce themselves, they say, my name is this person, I'm married to one woman, and she's a woman. And I said, maybe, I should, maybe that's a bad way to start, but, you know, it, she sort of tried to stick to me, so. Let's rather go to God's word. So I put the title as Hope, promise of hope in the darkness, 
But I want to give you the liberty to put the title that you want because I also went through so many titles in my mind and then I decided to stay with this, but you have the liberty to go take it to whatever title that you will want. Now, the first thing very quickly, something about Isaiah, because as you would have noticed from the beginning, the whole thing is built around Isaiah 9, which is a very beautiful scripture that almost everyone around this time, some way, one way or the other, touches on that passage. So it's built around Isaiah 9, and I thought, let's talk about something about Isaiah that I think it's very interesting as we approach a book of prophecy that God spoke to us through Isaiah. First thing about Isaiah that I'd like you to bear in mind is that his very name carries a message. The name Isaiah, one variation is Yahweh saves or the Lord is salvation. His very name begins to tell something about this man in, through whom the Spirit of God gave us the book of Isaiah, that there is something central about his message that he wants to communicate. As you begin Isaiah 1 right through to chapter 66, Isaiah's name wants you to begin to encounter the Lord as the Savior. Isaiah lived in a time that in some way I find related to where I come from. Um, in some sense, in some sense, Isaiah's name was given to him to portray the kind of message that he will carry. When my father gave me the name Jacob, and having been a Christian for some time now, I've sat through all kinds of sermons about my name. Some people even wanted me to change the name. So, well, I didn't give myself, you know, my father just gave me that name. I've sat all through, through all kinds of messages, and when I got to know why my father gave me that name, you know, it didn't really bother me so much. In his mind, when he called me Jacob, he was hoping that I will have 12 children. That's all. <laughs> so whichever way you interpreted that name really doesn't matter to him. And, you know, to, as far as he was concerned, this is Jacob. I know that there's a Jacob in the Bible that had 12 children. This one is going to have 12 children. And then he did another thing that I find very meaningful, more meaningful than that, was that name because I, I sort of disappointed him. I have two boys, biologically, and others that are not biological, so that I haven't lived up to. But then he gave me another name. He called it Aundutehemba. Pretty long, all right? And to help people, I, I normally shorten it to Tehemba. And if people struggle furthermore, I shorten it to T-E-R. But the full name is what was going on in his mind is that for this child to be born, after having girls, 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 now you must remember this is a very African, typical African man, and he, in his mind, he's thinking for him to have girls, 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 now he's got a boy. There must be a God in heaven that is almighty. You know, because he's done all he can and it didn't happen, and now a boy comes along. And that proclamation in his mind is something that is living. Every time he sees me, he just acknowledges that there must be a God in heaven that is almighty. Now, that's why in some way I just feel a bit related to Isaiah in that, that his very name was intended to embody some important message. And that message is that salvation is of the Lord. 
the Lord only can save. That's it. A little bit more about Isaiah. His prophetic role lasted about 50 years. Now think about that for a moment. This is a man used of God to proclaim a message of sustained hope. Something about Isaiah speaks about a hope that is unbroken. Maybe some people would have thought something is wrong with this Isaiah of a man. He keeps telling us that salvation is coming. He keeps telling us that it's going to get better. He keeps telling us that there is something better than what we see now. And it's 10 years, it's 20 years, it's 30 years, it's 40 years, it's 50 years. Isaiah speaking the same thing. And yet he does not waver. Sustained hope something about the message that Isaiah embodies. Third thing about Isaiah today, he is best known as the prophet that vividly predicted the coming of the Messiah. Very important stuff. The fall of the Assyrian Empire, critical, critical stuff. Someone would look at America and say, uh, it's not going to last. Or maybe the EU. Someone will look at the entire European Union and say to them, you know, you're very dominant and you're doing things the way you want. It's not going to last. You will think that person is crazy, isn't it? Ah, that's Isaiah. That's Isaiah. Looked at the whole Assyrian Empire and said, you think you are the world powers now? There is a greater power that you don't know of. There is a kingdom that is greater than the Assyrian Empire. Yours is going to come down. That kingdom is going to be the one that will rule and reign forever. That's crazy stuff. Well, Isaiah did that. You know, he just said, no, Assyrian Empire, you're going to come down. There's a greater kingdom coming. He proclaimed the kingdom that was coming ahead. And Isaiah is known as one person that shows us that the Old Testament and the New Testament is really the same message right through. It's the same thing. When you encounter Isaiah, it's one place that helps us with the argument that the old and the new are basically speaking about the same person. It's a message about one person. Whichever way you look at it, Isaiah just helps us to see that. And you know, before I move away, you know, you know the mind-blowing thing about that? He said all that he said not less than 700 years before it actually happened. That's mind-blowing. What Isaiah prophesied was hundreds of years and it happened. When you encounter the book of Isaiah, there is a sense of awe that you should encounter because it's God's word. It is God's unfailing word. And I thought we should know that about Isaiah as we move into one of the key places that Isaiah projects to us what is to come. Moving on to something about the people. Now, that we shouldn't spend so much time. It's not that great. The kind of people that Isaiah sent to. They, 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 let's see. 
in chapter 1, you quickly see the vision, of, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reign of Uzziah. Jotham, Ahaz, and Zedekiah, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner, and manger, the owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation. People whose guilt is great, brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. Now, hang on, that, that's, that's sounding a bit too close to home. It's, it's becoming very familiar now. Isaiah said these things hundreds of years ago to a people that seemed to resemble not, not anyone in this church, not, not you. But he said the people are corrupt people for they have forsaken the lord they have spurned the holy one of israel and they've turned their backs on him something of the kind of people that isaiah is sent to makes us to begin to sort of relate with the message of isaiah these are people who have turned their backs on god these are people who I thought corruption started in 20, what now, 2012 or 2008. It's disappointing, you know. It didn't start with that favorite name that you relate with corruption. It didn't start there. Disappointing. It's a sin problem that has existed. And long after corrupt regimes are gone, if sin is not dealt with decisively, by the person that alone can deal with sin, if that never happens in a person's life, corruption dwells there. And so that's the kind of people that Isaiah is sent to, and in some way we can relate to them, isn't it? That ah, there's something not right. Something about God. This brings us to our text in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, and for sake of time, I think we'll read 1 and 2 and then 6 to 7, which helps us to get, get an idea of what Isaiah is saying in, in Isaiah chapter 9. And let's move there quickly. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, here's the one that we all know. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is giving. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. That's a bit of a strange thing. 
Isaiah casts for us the kind of people he sent to, and then he brings a very beautiful message of hope. But something a bit strange is that Isaiah begins in 9 verse 1 by the word nevertheless. You don't start statements with that. You know, it just means that there is something behind. Isaiah points us back to the previous part of the text. And without having to go back and read the entire chapter 7, um, if, if you would like to get a bigger and broader picture of what Isaiah is saying in chapter 9, I will, I will encourage that you go back and see chapter 7 and move from chapter 7 to chapter 8 so that when you get to chapter 9, it will all make beautiful sense. And so allow me to pick a few verses in chapter 7 as an example and then a few verses in chapter 8 as an example and then see how it helps us to really value and appreciate what Isaiah says in chapter 9. In chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Now the house of David was told, Aram, was allied it, Aram, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the heart of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken of the wind. Now, you, you really don't need any further explanation. You know what that means. There is fear. There is worry. There is anxiety. There is political confusion. The king is told that an army is coming and everyone was in disarray. They were so, so troubled by fear. And Isaiah comes along and says, you know, the whole of this political confusion in this kingdom that's taking place and the fear and the anxiety and the turmoil that is really bothering you now, it's not going to happen. It's going to be fine. And that looked crazy. What's wrong with this Isaiah? The king is afraid. The people are afraid. Everybody is thinking this is the end. This, there can't be anything worse. It can't get worse than this. And Isaiah comes along and says, it's not going to happen. <laughs> when Isaiah said it's not going to happen, the king struggled to believe him. And he said, okay, what sign do you want to help you believe that this is not going to happen? And the king said, no, no, I can't touch the Lord. I don't want it. He said, okay, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Isaiah comes on the scene and says, do you see all this political turmoil that's happening? It's a miniature picture of something that is real right now, but there is something bigger that's going on. There's something greater than what you're seeing now. And this is what I want you to know. That all this turmoil and all that is happening, there's going to be a solution to it. It's going to be the kind of solution that you will not even believe or you will not understand, but it's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen because Emmanuel will come on the scene and when he arrives, he sorts things that are both physical and spiritual in ways that only him can. So Isaiah said, this is the sign. Emmanuel will come. 
Now, because already there was fear, there was turmoil, there was political confusion, instead of the people taking Isaiah's word seriously, they moved furthermore into darkness. Because of sin and confusion, instead of moving towards God, they moved further and further away from God. And what Isaiah saw was that because of what was going on, the people were moving further into darkness, moving further into confusion, and they were saying, when someone tells you, verse 19, to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, shall not the people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak a God into this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, fearful gloom, and will be thrust into utter darkness. This is not sounding good. But Isaiah says it anyway, so don't take it personal. This is Isaiah, all right? Isaiah says, as people get so consumed by the political confusion and fear and anxiety and economic worries, if care is not taken, they will move further and further away from their God and actually look up to him and curse him and move further away. And that will result in distress and darkness and fearful gloom and utter darkness. As a people get engulfed in the political confusion, get engulfed in the economic confusion, get involved in the fear that's all going around, if they look away from their God, they move further and further away into darkness. And when Isaiah says that, then our text makes a lot of sense. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. And those who were in distress, for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Out of the darkness and the fear and the worry and the anxiety, Isaiah's message brings hope that there's something better ahead. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm not going to take each one of them. I'm sure someone has done it or someone's going to do it. And you're very familiar. You've had so many sermons on each of this, the significance of these names. That's not where I'm going. What I'm saying is, Isaiah comes along and says that in the midst of the darkness, there is a great light. So what is going on? We meet Isaiah the prophet, 
whose very name embodies his message. Salvation is in the Lord. The Lord is salvation. Emmanuel is his name. He brings salvation. We meet a people that are full of sin and they're sinful people. And as long as they hold to their sinful ways and nothing is done about sin and Emmanuel that frees from sin has not been embraced, what happens is darkness moves to utter darkness and further darkness. There is political confusion and fear. And this kind of things don't just go away. They're with us even today. Lots of political confusion and fear. There's darkness due to sin and judgment. And there is hope of great light in the present darkness and gloom. And that hope is because of a person. That's what Isaiah is saying. There is political confusion, there is sin, there is judgment, there is darkness, but there is hope, and that hope is in a person. So what is Isaiah saying to us today? There is hope and light in the midst of the darkness of sin, fear, and confusion. This hope is made concrete and tangible by the evidence of the birth of Emmanuel. And it's very interesting to see that, you know, the Old Testament points us to the new. And when we go to the new, it points us back to the old. We're dealing with Isaiah in the Old Testament, and he makes a declaration in Isaiah chapter 9. And we go to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus walks in the exact fulfillment of what Isaiah is saying. And then Jesus points us back again to Isaiah. You go to Matthew chapter 4, then you find Jesus. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, lived in Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom that Isaiah spoke about, greater than the kingdom of the Assyrian army, is come to you. Repent and believe as your doorway into this coming kingdom is greater than the Republic of South Africa. It's greater than the European Union put together. It's greater than Britain, if Brexit happens. Shouldn't go there. I don't know. I just couldn't help it. Uh, whatever you can think of, whatever nation, it's not a political statement, whatever nation you can think about that is great at the moment, Jesus says, this kingdom is greater than that one that you know of. Repent as your doorway in to this new kingdom. Another thing that Isaiah is telling us today is that there is a promise of everlasting fatherly love and peace like no other. 
And Isaiah says to us, the fulfillment of the hope and promise is unstoppable because the one who will ensure that it all happens is the Almighty. When Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord shall perform this, I'm raising teenagers. When you say, boom, it's going to happen, it's like nothing can change that. It's boom. God will make it happen. There is no human agency that is required. There is a point at which this coming kingdom cannot be stopped. There is no physical army. There is no spiritual army. There is no being that can stop this coming kingdom. And there is already the evidence of it, which is the birth of Christ. Okay, let's try to bring to a close. So in closing, what must I do? Well, believe the message of Isaiah and have renewed hope. Have hope that is beyond what confusion is seeking to engulf people now. Believe the message of Isaiah. There is a coming kingdom, and there is a coming king, and he is greater than whatever kingdom, whatever king that is now. Believe the message of Isaiah, and have renewed hope. Put your absolute trust in the son Emmanuel, who embodies the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of redemption, from the darkness of sin, fear, and confusion. If you ask me what to do, that's what I'll tell you to do. Put your absolute trust in Emmanuel. He embodies the fulfillment of Isaiah. And I don't know, maybe you're sitting here and you, you're not there. You're not in that space. You're not in the place where you've really put your absolute trust in Emmanuel. Maybe. Maybe your trust is in something else, somewhere else, and really not in Emmanuel. Well, Isaiah challenges us and says, look, if it's ever going to get right, it has to be through Emmanuel. You need to put your trust in him. And finally, have a truly Merry Christmas. If you ask me what to do, this is what I tell you. Have a truly Merry Christmas, not only because of family, food, and gifts, but because of the hope of eternal life an eternal peace that the birth of Emmanuel, which Christmas symbolizes, reminds us of. There's nothing wrong with food and gifts and family. Enjoy it. But at the center of it should be the renewed hope that Emmanuel is born. Can I close with a prayer? Lord, fill our hearts and homes with the peace that Jesus was born for. Peace with God leading to peace with men, culminating in eternal peace in the presence of God. And if there's anyone for some reason that is not a beneficiary of this peace that money cannot buy, that things can never fulfill, that power can never give, Lord, we just pray that you will draw people to yourself, to that place of peace with God where Emmanuel is the center of our absolute trust for redemption now and redemption in the future. We ask the Lord for those that are, maybe they've lost someone and this Christmas may be a difficult time that you will just fill their hearts with your peace. That you, this everlasting Father that will never die, that will always be there, that you will be there for such people. For one struggle or the other, Lord, we pray that you will come through for your people as the mighty God. 
Give the blessing of a peaceful and a joyful Christmas to your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Twice in a row.